Gracious Lord and God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and even this morning, this day that you have made in which we will rejoice and be glad. Thank you for this Sabbath day, a day of joy and rejoicing, a day of rest and gladness. Thank you for gathering your people together in your presence, and thank you for the corporate worship that we will share in your presence in a little while. But help us now, O Lord, to be sharpened by your word. As we come to think again about truth and love, we are thankful for repeated themes. We're thankful for things that we have seen and need to hear again and again. So, uh, O Lord, we are so often uh, cold in love and so easily veer from the truth. And so draw us by this, your word, uh, back to the truth and back to loving one another and sharing the love of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few introductory comments uh, before we get to reading uh, 2 John. Uh, Chances are you've probably never heard sermons uh, or other studies. You may have uh, on 2 John and 3 John. They tend to be a little bit overlooked. Uh, 2 John is the second to shortest uh, book in the New Testament. The shortest is 3 John. If you go by verses... Uh, Third John is a little bit longer, but if you're going by the Greek text, Second John is actually, um, uh, actually, I think it might be the shortest. Yeah, so, so Third John is a little bit longer, um, but it's actually, how do I, okay. So this is the second to longest, according to the Greek text. Fewer verses, but a few more words in the Greek. So it's the second shortest uh, in, uh, in the New Testament. And in this very short letter, you will notice that a lot of the the material is almost pulled directly from 1 John. So having just spent five weeks going through 1 John, you're going to see an awful lot that is familiar. Uh, And uh, Roy Taylor uh, is the the clerk of our denomination. He's the guy who is uh, one of the people in charge every year when I go to General Assembly. Uh, And when the debate on the floor gets long, he has something he likes to say, uh, and that is that there comes a point in the discussion where everything has already been said, but not everyone has had a chance to say it yet. Uh, This is a similar situation where it seems that that everything that John wants to say, he's already said, but now he's saying it to someone else, or maybe to someone else. It's a different context, and there is a slightly different emphasis, and we're seeing the way that John is applying some of uh, the same themes, and that has to do with the issue of hospitality. He was talking in 1 John a lot about about walking in love and loving one another, not just in word, but in deed, and how we care for one another and the way that we uh, share with one another, and that's going to come up now as we think about this issue of hospitality. In fact, it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition if you were to study 2 John and 3 John together, and there's a good chance that we're going to dip our toes a little bit into 3 John today, um, because it's, it's coming at the idea of hospitality in two different directions. In 2 John, there's a warning not to overextend hospitality, uh, and in 3 John, there's a warning not to underextend hospitality. Now, so there are some people, some, some Christian teachers or leaders maybe, or Christian brothers or sisters or professing brothers and sisters, uh, whom we may want to, uh, you know, well, we want to take this admonition to love and to, and to share, and we want to just be open with that. And, and in 2 John, uh, he's tightening the reins a little bit and saying, well, not everybody. Um, and then on the other side, uh, well, we want to be 
uh, maybe stodgy. We, we don't want to uh, give help and, and encouragement. And John says, no, 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 o open the gates a little and, and let some others in. And so it's interesting to see this issue of, of hospitality there. Um, and, uh, and there are issues in the text that are going to make us think about what this might mean. Since we've seen a lot of the details of what we're going to see in 2 John, um, that's the way that we're going to look at this. I want to I start by just proposing different ideas of what could this text actually be talking about. Uh, and not because I want to get into anything speculative, um, but because I think there are a, a number of situations that may uh, call us to biblical wisdom and that this might have to do with in our lives. We want to see what those are. Now, the text itself, 2 John, is very simple. Uh, this is a prototypical New Testament era letter. Uh, there is an introduction. Uh, John um, introduces himself, and he says uh, who his letter is to. Uh, there's a short prayer uh, of blessing, and then there's the body of the letter, and then there's a very quick greeting. This is uh, very typical of letters written in the New Testament. The long letters that we have from Paul, which follow the same basic structure, uh, are, are atypical. Uh, but, I mean, there are... Uh, hundreds and thousands of manuscripts and letters from, from the first centuries uh, around the church, and this is just the way people interacted with one another. There's a, there's a very personal feel to this. It's the sort of, you know, this isn't the long uh, teaching that you would think of. It's almost like uh, a friend that you're sending an email off to, and here are the, uh, the normal conventions of the day, and, and you're just giving them an encouragement. There, there, it's very personal, this letter, uh, as is Third John. And so there's an opening, there's uh, the argument in the middle, and then there's the closing. Let's read together 2 John, and then, uh, as I said, we're going to open with a few options for interpretation and for application of this. Hear now God's word in 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Now, uh, as I said, I want to begin with a few potential uh, application points 
Uh, just as a, a test of, as I've been reading the scholars and listening to some of, uh, some of the preachers and teachers teaching on this text throughout the past week, I, I've come to see that lots of people interpret it in a few very different ways, depending on uh, some of the things that they understand about what's going on in the text. But, but the crux seems to be verses 10 and 11 there. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. There are a few different options for, well, what could John possibly be talking about, and, and what scenarios in our own lives could we connect this to? And let me give you four that I've come across this past week, and I've, I've changed the names uh, to protect the innocent, but basically this is, this is what you find if you read scholars and you hear pastors and teachers uh, teaching on this, several different areas that we could potentially apply it. One is the idea of let's say there is maybe an interfaith worship service, some catastrophe, uh, and, uh, and we want to have fellowship together and we want to band together as, as human beings and we want to encourage one another and, and give one another solace. Uh, perhaps if you're a church that has a, a facility, one of these groups would want to use your facility and, and host something there and, and band together and, and all of these sorts of things. And one of the questions, one of the ways to interpret this is, well, what should we think about those sorts of scenarios. Is that what John is talking about, that we, we shouldn't go beyond and, and gather together with other folks who are clearly not abiding in the teaching of Christ? That are, you know, you, you've got your interfaith and the, the Jews and the Christians, the Muslims and the Baha'i, and they're all together and they're all doing the same thing. So that's one option for thinking through what verses 10 and 11 might mean. Uh, another one uh, is the idea of a missionary who shows up, as, as missionaries sometimes do. And just the other week, we had Colin and Zuri, and they came to us. They simply sent us a request uh, to, to have a chance to, to talk with the church and get to meet our missions committee and get to speak with us. And uh, sometimes you have people coming, uh, as Colin and Zuri did, and, and they're together with MTW, and, and they've got sort of background credentials, and we know where they're going, and there's some accountability lined up. But oftentimes, there are missionaries who are just sort of on their own. And they say, well, the, the Lord has called me to do this, and, and we don't really know their connectionalism. We don't really know their background and their theology. And, and before we enter into partnership with them, before we invite them to come and talk, we need to be guarded a little bit. We need to make sure that, that uh, their ministry is on the up and up, because we don't want to, to join together with a missionary who has questionable doctrine or allow them to come in and and solicit funds and, and to further their ministry. So that's a second option for what verses 10 and 11 might mean. We need to make sure that people share uh, this, uh, this teaching if they're going to be a part of us and we're going to help to, uh, to support and encourage them. Third option is what do you do uh, when uh, some member of a cult knocks on your door? Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons are knocking on your door and they want to come in and they want to uh, talk to you about the Watchtower Society pamphlets, or they want to talk about the doctrines and the covenants of the prophet Joseph Smith, and, and they want you to think about these things and pray that the Lord would give you wisdom uh, to consider the things that, uh, that they have uh, to tell you. And they're knocking on your door, and do you greet them? Uh, do you engage them? Do you just shut the door and say, no, thank you. I don't want to participate in your deeds of wickedness, and so I will have nothing to do with it because I know uh, that you don't share this teaching. And, and some teachers and pastors say this is what verses 10 and 11 are about, that we shouldn't even entertain such things that they come to our individual personal homes. You can take that even farther. 
and, and you could say, well, maybe this is about, what about that cousin of yours who's going to be in town? There was a, uh, a wonderful wedding yesterday, and your cousin's going to be in town for a wedding, and hey, this is close by. I'd love to come and stay with you, and, uh, but you know that your, your cousin, uh, whoever it is, is, is not a believer, uh, kind of antagonistic to the faith. And should you invite that person in? Maybe you've got kids in the home and you're worried about the influence or just worried about uh, encouraging what they're doing and sharing hospitality with someone who is outside the pale uh, of the church. Yeah, they're family, but, but they're not believers. And, and maybe that is what verses 10 and 11 are about. Again, I'm not trying to move us in the direction of, of speculative uh, thinking, but these are all really situations that, that will be uh, confronted with at some level. Uh, I, I bet you can think of times where people have knocked on your door or you've gotten an invitation to an interfaith uh, whatever or a missionary has showed up or your, your family member is coming to stay and, and these are things that we need to think about and, and some people have interpreted verses 10 and 11 in, in all of these different ways. And so how would we know, this is, this is basically a beginning to a discussion of how do we determine what is actually being said, and, and how would we know if this has anything to do with any of those? Is there anything in the text, as we've read it already, that would lead you to think that one of those potential applications is legitimate or others are not legitimate? And if so, what is in the text that is leading you in that direction? Becky, what do you think? Well, the text is about the expectation. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, just trying to flesh out, well, well, where are some different situations that this might show up? So Becky's pointing us in the direction of saying, well, this is clearly talking about teachers people teaching particular doctrines. So of those four scenarios, are there any of those that we could rule out and say, well, the text is certainly not talking about this one? Any of those that I've given you that have said, well, this is, this is clearly not what's going on? Jay? And Bunny's coming. Yeah. Uh, sweet, kind, old, reprobate Aunt Bunny uh, is coming. Uh, and you want to show her hospitality. This text is probably not telling you uh, that you cannot open your home. You, you can't greet Aunt Bunny uh, unless she is converted. Uh, I think this is probably not telling you that. Now, now what if... Uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay, so, so I think probably the last one. That, that's the most far-fetched, but it's one that I've heard over the past week. It's one that I've read, uh, and I think, I think this is exactly right. Becky, you're, you're zeroing in on one of the important points here, that this is a teaching thing. Uh, this is guarding against false teaching, not just necessarily guarding against those who are outside of the church. So this is, this is guarding ourselves against false teaching. What do you think about some of the other ones? Anything in the text that would help us to understand uh, which direction this might be going? I saw some other hands. I know I did. <laughs> we'll put it up now anyway. Yeah.
Okay. So again, it's this idea of official doctrinal teaching. And Chris, you seem to be zeroing in on the question of, I'll get to you in just a minute, Brian. You seem to be zeroing in on the question of, of itinerant teachers almost, coming around and receiving hospitality as part of their ministry, which is something that we engage in. Think about uh, Stephen Atkinson was here just a little bit ago, uh, maybe a, a month and a half ago or so, and he stayed with Mike Lee. There's some hospitality that happened come and, and speak to us, and in fact, one of our elders is going to put you up, and he's going to take you out to dinner, and you're going to you know, share some time together and some discussion, and there's, there's an encouragement in that hospitality, um, but it's almost an official hospitality. It's, it's not just a personal thing. It's not just Aunt, Aunt Bunny coming to stay. It's not just an individual opening a home, and it's not just because Mike's an elder and nobody else could do that. We could extend hospitality through non-ordained persons in the church, but still have it be an official hospitality. And it seems to be the, the direction, Chris, that you're taking it. Yeah, Brian, what do you think? So it could be guarding against uh, potential persecution and trying to, uh, to safeguard those who are in the church. And that could be very applicable in a place like North Korea today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And other things that are possible here are uh, the church also was not, they didn't meet in places like this. They, they met in homes. In a house. Mm -hmm. 
and some were gifted in particular areas. We see Paul writing very early saying, you know, you've got a gift of teaching, teach. And if you've got, you know, other things. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a difference in what we think of as the church itself. In fact, that's, that's one of the big discussions behind this letter. Uh, we notice that this letter is addressed to uh, the elder, to the elect lady and her children. Behind some of these discussions is a more fundamental question as to who exactly is John writing? Um, and is it an individual woman, or is this symbolic language? And there are really good conservative commentators who fall on both sides of this. Uh, first option is that John is writing to an individual woman who may be really excited about this idea of hospitality and uh, and she wants to encourage anybody who comes along and, and speaks anything that sounds like Christian doctrine. Uh, and so she's opening the door to those uh, maybe itinerant teachers who are coming along. And she's, she's overextending hospitality to those she ought not to. Some have, have you know, you, you get into uh, where the text is silent. We invent all sorts of things uh, to, to make our interpretation seem rational. Um, some people say, well, maybe uh, this was actually a woman named Electa. That's the, to an elect lady. Uh, and so maybe this is a woman named Electa. And she was uh, a foster parent of sorts. And she had lots of children in her home. And this was endangering some of the children. Now, the, the benefit of that, saying that this is a, an individual letter written to an individual woman, which changes the way that we apply it, I think, um, is that it's really just a straightforward reading of, of verse 1. That's what he says. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Okay, great. Um, it, it actually coincides with 3 John. You got your Bibles there. Flip to the next one. Uh, and it begins, uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And it seems that 3 John is a personal letter to another individual. And so it could be that, that this is uh, uh, similar. Um, now, the other option is that this is symbolic language. That when John speaks about the elect lady, he's actually talking about a local congregation, a church. Uh, and this is not the, the straightforward reading, if we, if we want to just take the words as they are presented to us, but it fix, fits the context of the letter. Um, and uh, it fits a lot of the feminine language of Scripture with regard to who the church is. The church is the bride. Uh, John, in Revelation, will speak of the church as, as the woman. In Revelation, in 1 Peter 5.13, um, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So another elect woman. She who is at Babylon, and most interpreters think that, uh, that Peter there is writing about a church. Uh, not an individual woman. Um, and so the, the tension here, if we interpret it that way, is that there is an official greeting space for, for teaching within a house church. Some of the things we're talking about, itinerant teachers who are coming along and spreading uh, teaching. And it would have been endorsement of false teachers in order to send them along to other churches uh, who might spread their false teaching. Um, so those are the two options. I'll just put it out there and say, what do you think? What do you see in the text that, that would make you want to go in either direction? Mike? Well, the children are referring to the children of the elect sister teacher. So yeah. it seems like, well, it's just a saying. <laughs> I mean, are the two churches that could be the sister, sister church 
Sister in Christ. Yeah. 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 And again, not to open doors where we're just going down rabbit trails and, well, let's find something to talk about because we've already talked about truth and love a lot. Um, but this affects the way that we interpret it. And very often when you're reading texts uh, in the New Testament, it's not just can you understand the words that are put down on the page because the words are pretty clear. Uh, but it, how do you apply this to your life? And, and this, is, this is the goal. Let's be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word as well. And, and so how are we going to do that, and how do we, uh, how do we understand that? Jay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and John's writing, everybody who knows the truth loves you. And it, love her, I don't even know her. I, you know, uh, yeah, so it, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Brian, yeah. Yep, yep. Singular, singular, it's singular. But there is some mix in other places. Um, Not necessarily, no, which is a big indicator, which is a big indicator. But he's also talking about, so take a look at, um, so verse 5, right where you were. Now I ask you, or I ask thee, dear lady, not as though we're writing to you. I believe that one's singular. Um, oh, I could, I could pull it up and check. But I believe that one's singular, not as though I'm writing to you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now that's obviously plural, but he's talking about I and you, it's at least two people, and it's maybe more, and there are some other indications where it may not be strictly um, consistent. Uh, I apologize. I'm not going to take the time to, to pull up. Yeah. But it's there, right? And, and these are some, some uh, trails that we can go down. Jay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, oh, James Boyce actually made a point about that. I can't find it. My apologies. Yeah, but it's more than just this one instance, and, and the language, the singular and plural, is not always uh, consistent. Now, my, my personal understanding, interpretation, is that this is uh, a church uh, that he's writing to, and, and using this sort of symbolic language. Uh, I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about that, because here's an open area where believers can have differing interpretations, and, and we can uh, deal with these things. But uh, the point is that we, we would want to go back uh, to the text. Uh, well, how do we figure this out? Well, well, what are the clues in the text? And not necessarily, well, what do we think? Uh, or what is most comfortable for us? And so as we're thinking about 
uh, verses 10 and 11. I, I think probably the, the best scenarios to think about, um, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked work. I think this is the idea of itinerant teachers, which this is, this is the model at the time. The, the church, uh, as well as not having sort of the settled uh, sermonic ministry, a lot of that was because there weren't yet too many settled pastorates. Now, you see that later, um, and, and in some of Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus, he tells them to make sure that everything's put in order, and you put elders in every town, uh, which that would have been 60s or 70s, um, and uh, so before this letter, but, but that would have been sort of a, a regional director of churches, what today we would think of as bishops, but, but it was moving in the direction of individual congregations. It seems to be actually in 3 John that that is what's happening. They're not willing to, to deal with those who are, who are in a settled ministry. Uh, now, there's, there's an interesting um, background to this. Uh, there's a New Testament era document, uh, maybe a century and a half after the church. It's not scripture, but it's called the Didache. It's the teaching of the Twelve. Um, and it has an interesting uh, point here. It says, about apostles and prophets, follow the rule of the gospel, which is this. Let every apostle who comes to you be welcomed as the Lord, but he shall not stay more than one day. And if it's necessary, the next day also. But if he stays three days, he's a false prophet. And when an apostle leaves... Let him, at, let him take nothing except bread to last until he finds the next lodging. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. You shall not test or examine any prophet who speaks in the spirit, for every sin will be forgiven, but this sin will not be forgiven. Uh, but not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, but only if he has the ways of the Lord. So the false prophet and the prophet will be known by their ways. And he goes on, um, if one comes to you who is a traveler, help him all you can, but he must not stay with you more than two, or if necessary, three days. If he wants to settle among you and he has a trade, let him work for his living. But if, you have, if he has no trade, see to it in your understanding uh, that no one lives among you in idleness because he's a Christian. If he will not do this, he is trading on Christ, uh, which is this little phrase, uh, a, a Christ monger, many have called it. If he will not do this, he's trading on Christ and beware of such men. So what's the, uh, uh, what's the encouragement here? Anyone who does nothing but teach and preach the word of God and has no trade uh, is trading on Christ, and you ought to get rid of the guy. Um, all right, see you later. Thankfully, this is not scripture, and Paul says that a workman is worthy of his wages. Uh, but it at least gives us enough background to say, here's a situation that happened in the early church, that you had, you had teachers going from place to place. One of the other commentators says that, uh, that a charlatan could make a pretty fair living uh, off of the hospitality of believers by showing up and, and giving some message that seemed uh, remotely Christian. I mean, we see that today. Uh, we've got all these televangelists who are there, and they, they, they've got these Christianese-sounding teachings, and if you'll only send me a gift of at least $50, I will send you this handkerchief that I have blessed uh, and you can lay it on, uh, on your sick loved ones, and they will recover. And, and I'm going to pray with you. So put your hands on the television screen, and, and let's pray. And all of these things, and then you see the kinds of living uh, that these people have. And it reminds us a, a charlatan can make a pretty good living uh, doing these things. Uh, actually, one of the sermons that I listened to this week uh, on this as I was preparing to teach was from Stephen Atkinson. I, I found a sermon from him, and he's an itinerant teacher. Uh, and he's been doing it for 14 years, and he was here, and he was zeroing in on this and saying, 
look, if you've got missionaries in your church who never tell you what they're doing and never tell you what they're about, and you just sort of say, oh, we've been, we've been supporting them for years, and they're just sort of over there, he's, get rid of those missionaries. If they're not willing to come and be accountable, if they're not willing to show you, here is my doctrine, here are the things that I believe, don't support those ministries. And, and what do we think about those that we share hospitality with, especially those that we share speaking space with, those that, that come and, and want, to, uh, want to have us help them on their way to, to teach the word of Christ? We need to be really fastidious in what we do. I don't know if you're aware, uh, we've got a missions committee, and we have particular rules about who we, uh, we support in our missions committee, and for good reason. And we have sort of different tiers. If any of you would like to join our missions committee, it's an open committee, come and, and help us. Uh, but we have, we have certain tiers, things and, and people that we want to uh, help and support and people and things that we don't want to support. Uh, and it, it's sort of a, a, a emerging circles. So, so we want to keep it close. Uh, and, and we want, if anybody's teaching, it's got to be reformed doctrine. And there are other levels. If you're doing mercy ministry, well, you at least need to be an evangelical Christian. You don't have to be necessarily Westminster Confession reformed, but you know, like um, First Concerned Pregnancy Center. They're not a reformed uh, mission, but they're, they're Christians. They're believers in Christ, the Son of God, and, and so we extend uh, some support to them. But this is one of the admonitions that, that I got from Stephen Atkinson, that make sure that you know who you support in the church and why you support them, and especially if they're in a teaching ministry, that you make sure that that is uh, kept close to your chest. All right, uh, so we've got about 15 minutes uh, left in our class, and I think we've exhausted this, uh, this first major point. Anything else that, that grabbed you as we're going through, and I've got some, uh, some notes that we can talk about some other things, but is there anything that you said, hey, I know we've talked about something like this, but here's something new in 2 John that I didn't expect, or something that, uh, that encourages you to think more about what John's teaching here. Jay? Okay. We think about Colin and Zuri, who were here just a few weeks ago, and they, they showed us that graph, and they had the, the thermometer, and we're right here, and we need to get here to keep going. And that's, that's the call, right? Help us to keep going. And so often missionaries are dependent upon the churches. And not everybody can go and, and spread the gospel, but our, our money very often can go for those who, who aren't called to preach, and we can send others. And that's, that's what it is. It's a sending ministry. And it's good for us to think about because we're very largely a sending church. I mean, if you look at our budget and where our, our mission dollars go, I mean, it's a huge part of what we see as our ministry. And so this, this is important that we think about, about these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about sin and forgiveness? I mean, why aren't you addressing the ills of society? Those are the ills of society. 
<laughs> you know? I mean, that's the, that's the truth. So I, I saw Scott and then back to Brian. Verse 8. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. What do you think is uh, at stake there? What, what could be lost? Now, here actually uh, is in verse 8, that's plural. Watch yourselves, plural. So that, so that y'all, so that y'all may not lose what we have worked for. And so here's another instance where, um, you know, is this singular, well, yeah, well, it's probably not just the teacher, or maybe there are many teachers in, in uh, this scenario. Yep. Your house. Yeah, and so beware when you know that these are deceivers. And his first letter is all about those deceivers, and, and don't be deceived. And yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So what, what could potentially be lost? And I'll, I'll come to you in just a minute. What could potentially be lost in verse 8? Is he talking about losing salvation? Is he talking more about something that we see all around us in New England? The true teaching of, of the gospel message and shells that used to be churches where people gather every week. They've got a conglomeration of symbols up at the front. And who knows who or what they're worshiping and what they're talking about. Uh, and at one point... In each of these little towns, there were these, these parish churches that were the light of the gospel in the town, and hey, you just drift. And you can go back, and you can find the history of these places, and it's normally not one decisive, we've decided to be Unitarian. It's, it's a step by step by step, and imagine, uh, you know, if... If, if the generations could look down and say, you're going to lose what we've worked for. We, we came, we established this town around this church, around the gospel, and you're going to just lose it. 
<laughs> you're going to lose the proclamation of the gospel. I think this is very close uh, to what we see all around us. Brian. Yeah. Absolutely. Because that's where they meet, and that's what's happening to the church in New England. Yeah. You know, that was the ineffective false doctrine in the world. Mm -hmm. Oh, we work on social justice. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it was writing legitimate wrongs like slavery or not so legitimate wrongs like uh, new marriage proposals. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think he's, he's drawing us back to this. That there is, uh, no matter what teacher is coming into the church, he's putting a, a theological uh, anchor to it. That if they come in, and, they, and they, I like the way you put it, if there's a teacher who's only concerned about social justice, and there's no theological backbone, you should avoid that person. Don't bring them in. Now, the gospel has implications of justice. I wouldn't want to call it social justice because that removes the idea of God.